0: Monday night, a white woman tried to slap some sense into CNN hostess Don Lemon. She took him to school on the whole notion that ancestors of black slaves are owed reparations. Reparations are an entitlement. They're rooted in the desire to be compensated for the oppression suffered by others. Entitlement handicaps the mind and undermines productivity. America does not owe me, I owe America. I owe my ancestors. The same goes for Don Lemon and everyone else. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. And uh, TJ Mo just asked me, did I mean to call Don Lemon a hostess? Absolutely, I did. Uh, happy Tuesday uh, to you and yours. Uh, TJ Mo is back with us here in studio uh, all day today. We have a fantastic show planned for you. Uh, Steve Kim and Shamika Michelle uh, will be here. We'll talk some NFL football. We'll talk about the slap heard around the world. Not, not Don Lemon getting slapped, as I alluded to earlier. Uh, Kyler Murray was slapped and we'll get to the bottom of that we'll break this down like the Zapruder film and get to the bottom of whether you know Kyler Murray has a right to be upset about this Cliff Kingsbury wants the guy fired uh, but anyway we'll talk with Jamika Michelle about Don Lemon and reparations and whether or not reparations are a big deal or not alright guys this is not a commercial this is something Near and dear to my heart, this is not an endorsement. This is life or death. Uh, here at The Blaze, we're building a village of Blaze babies with a goal of rescuing 50,000 babies from abortion. Let me tell you a little bit about pre-born. I've told you about you, these guys before. You guys know this is special to me. They've already rescued 188,000 baby lives. When a woman, under pressure to abort her baby, needs that, hears, meets, and hears that baby's precious heartbeat, It is an absolute game changer. 80% of the time, she will choose life after hearing the ultrasound. Preborn clinics are located in the highest abortion areas in the country, standing strong for mothers in crisis and introducing them to the beautiful life growing inside of them. Would you join me, us, the Blaze, in rescuing preborn babies? It's one of the most important things we, you, can do. Helping preserve these precious lives. One ultrasound is just $28, or you can sponsor five ultrasounds for $140 and save five babies' lives. All gifts are tax-deductible. To donate securely, call pound 250 and say the keyword, baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby, or, and this is my preferred method, go to preborn.com fearless. That's right, preborn.com fearless. Let's do this together. Let's save babies' lives. You guys are always asking me. I get the emails saying, "What can we do?" Love your show. How do we make a difference? This is how you make a difference. There's all these little things we can do that will make a difference in this world. Preborn.com/slash/fearless or pound two fifty. Say the word baby. That's how we can make a difference. I think uh, these guys. I kind of. I didn't. I I kind of did not want to start with Kyler Murray, but they're telling me to start with Kyler Murray I kind of want to talk about the Bills Titans and Eagles uh, Vikings first Uh, so let's do that we're going to get to Kyler Murray here in a second but I wanted to start with last night's games Uh, the Titans and the Bills Uh, I felt like Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills last night proved uh, that they are clearly head and shoulders the best team in the National Football League routing uh, the Tennessee Titans last night 41-7, to 7. Uh, you know, in a game that wasn't as close as the final score indicates and like a, 34 points is a molly whopping in the NFL. Uh, but uh, we're going to bring in uh, Steve Kim and uh, he'll join TJ and I and we'll talk about uh, the trouncing the Bills uh, gave the Tennessee Titans and does it prove that they're head and shoulders the best team in football. Uh, Steve Kim, I'll let you get us, I'll let you get us started. And then we'll uh, see what TJ's take. Yeah, I like this. I like the swag. Go ahead, go ahead, mm-hmm. Steve. Are the Bills the best team in football? Did they prove it last night?
1: Oh, well, hold on. Hold on. Let me make some room. Uh, that's the Bills bandwagon. This is your seat, Jason. Climb aboard. Plenty <laughs> of <me make laughs> room. I, I don't know if you trust an Asian driver. I get it if you don't. But I'm telling you, how do you spell elite? J-O-S-H-A-L-L. N. Are you are you aboard now? Are you now? You left out either? the E. <laughs> <laughs> I said N, E N, yeah. You left, right. it. So, you left yeah, out the look, E. Look, look, math is our strength. The spelling part we're a little but we still do good on the SATs. One thing I've said about the Bills, they have every single element that you need. They have playmakers on the outside, and they didn't even play without their really good bookend receiver, Jordan Davis. They have an elite quarterback, obviously, but this is where I think they separate themselves. If you look at their draft the last three, four years, they have spent a lot of draft capital on pass rushers. Most NFL teams might have a good front four, but they don't come in waves and the bills come in waves. And there's one player, the Frenchman from the U, Gregory Rousseau, who was a late first round draft choice, who really has seemingly taken that next step And then with the addition of Von Miller, again, injuries play a key role in this. In six weeks, this could all fall apart. But as long as Josh Allen stays upright and plays a good, smart game of non-physical contact quarterback, again, right now, they have the look of a Super Bowl squad.
0: I, I certainly agree with any and all of that. I also think their offensive line was incredibly physical last night. I can't think of number 73 tried to assassinate somebody uh, (laughs) last night on a sweet play. It was in one of the greatest blocks I've seen in the NFL recently. I mean, knocked the DB down and then jumped on top of him. Probably
2: should have got penalized in this soft NFL we got now. But anyway, I I love the Bills. Uh, Steve's point about if Josh Allen continues standing is the only thing that can stop the Bills this year He's 6 foot 5, 240 pounds, and he thinks he needs to finish every run like a running back, and I can't figure it out Just he won't slide because this is a guy uh, If you go back to his college days at Wyoming, he completed 56% of his passes and you thought How does a guy get to be that good from that? I'm actually starting to consider for the first time, was he too good for the receivers that Wyoming offered? Did he throw an NFL ball to a bunch of college receivers who just couldn't catch it? Because if you watch him throwing to Stefan Diggs right now, you're watching. This is, this is a level that we saw this happen with uh, Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown for a while. Like, he was going to get open and the ball was going to be there over and over and over again. They're just toying with guys. And then on the defensive side, Von Miller for the second game in a row uh, is making plays that you saw Von Miller make in his early days where he was trying to make a name for himself. So I, they've got too many guys. The, the only team that I think can play with them right now is the Chiefs and the Chiefs may have a hard time with them both in the AFC but the Bills I think right now with the Chiefs head and shoulders but just about everybody else.
0: Here's what I think is a possibility as it relates to Josh Allen and what was going on with him in college and why uh, the Bills were so confident in drafting him. When you're that type of elite talent at a Wyoming, at a mid-major, you may not be getting the best coaching. and uh, you know, because trust me, the, the best coaches elevate very quickly. They move on to the Power Five schools and the big contracts. And so, I would bet there was something going on with his footwork and/or mechanics with his upper body or something that there was some coach that said, "Oh, I can fix that." And once that's fixed, it's it, it's on and again. Not, I'm I'm not saying this to denigrate. Uh, Lamar Jackson. They're just two different styles of quarterback, but it's not like Josh Allen had Lamar Jackson's throwing motion. A lot of times it's like you you can't fix that, but if he was, if there was something going on with his footwork or the way he was turning his body, I can see a coach just saying, oh yeah, I I can get that out of him. He's very coachable, Uh, and so I, I think we all just missed, and some of this is just like hey, he's playing at Wyoming, how good could he really be? Uh, But clearly, this is, you know, some NFL scouts and systems and organizations are better than others, and that's what we're seeing here with the Buffalo Bills. They made the right choice. And Josh Allen took a lot of ridicule uh, for just even being drafted. Before anyone saw him play in the NFL, people were beating up on him and saying if he were black and they are playing all that stuff. And, and And this is where I look at Josh Allen and say, look, we're denying a lot of these black quarterbacks the criticism that makes you great. Criticism is spinach and it keeps you humble and gives you a fire and desire that other guys sometimes can't meet. And so it's like, we could be creating potentially here a more talented version of Tom Brady and Josh Allen. Tom Brady came into the NFL with a chip on his shoulder, felt like he was undervalued, and that's part of what made him great. I look at even a Michael Jordan being the third pick of the draft. Uh, you know, he carried a fire and a little disrespect that he felt throughout his entire career. And, and you know, I see Josh Allen benefiting from all that. Steve, there was, you wanted to add another point?
1: well wait a minute let me pump the brakes like fred flintstone with his bare feet let let's the jordan thing let's let's <laughs> let him win a couple of lombardis before we get to that but it's an interesting <laughs> point about josh allen and that was one of the question marks of, about him at wyoming there's a general belief and it's been proven over time if you are an inaccurate passer in the mid 50s in college there's a belief that you can't teach accuracy but he's absolutely become the anomaly I saw him at Wyoming, and I saw him in the first couple years with the Bills. I was not a believer because for all his arm strength, guys, he was a thrower. He was not a passer. It's like a guy that can throw 100 miles per hour off the mound. That doesn't make him a pitcher. He has now melded velocity with touch because some of those passes now with the arc, he's now feathering the ball at times instead of trying to just fire it. He has really learned that middle ground that sometimes – Pass placement is actually more important than velocity. And to TJ Moe's point, I think it's very simple. I would have a meeting with Josh Allen in private, and I'd say, Josh, you are a white quarterback. Be the stereotypical (laughs) white quarterback. We don't want you running. I don't want you jumping over people. You're not putting your shoulder down. Be a white quarterback. Be a white quarterback from the 80s. And once in a while, if you have to scramble, Scramble and get the hell out of bounds. It's really that simple. It's an easy fix. We can do it. That's Ken Dorsey's job.
2: All that's true. The the one thing is that part of what makes him really good is that he's actually quite fast for what is a stereotypical 6'5", 240-pound quarterback. Yeah, white quarterback. He's very fast for a white quarterback. I'll tell you, he's, uh, I played with Blaine Gabbert, exact same size, 6'5", 20, and Blaine could, he couldn't do the side-to-side stuff, but the, some of those guys can really run, and he can too, so it's like, do you give up 20 yards? Because a lot of the stuff that he does, to we saw it uh, in week one against the Rams, his stiff arm, he had to flat back a guy so that he could get a first down to keep the drive going to then eventually win the game, right? It's like, you do enough of that. How much of a risk do you take at six foot five, two 240 pounds when you are stronger than every DV that comes at you? Well, I would say there's people that
0: were Cam Newton fans that would say, you know, your body's not gonna hold up forever, and it certainly didn't for Cam Newton. Cam Newton also never became as accurate and as fundamentally sound in the pocket as Josh Allen. He, he relied too heavily on his athleticism I, I, I would, guys, and, and Steve, you could, or both of you guys can probably help me here. I'm trying, Stefan Diggs has only been there for like two years, right? Yes. And so, are we not also seeing a little bit of the, you get the right personnel and it takes you to another level? The same conversation we were having about Tua Tongue Viola yesterday, that uh, it, it takes you to another level when you have the right personnel with you?
1: There's no doubt about it. Hey, look. Peyton Manning had Marvin Harrison and then Reggie Wayne help matters. I mean, we're talking about a game with 11 or 10 other teammates on the field, and we're going to bring them up later. Hopefully, the Eagles—they got a new wide receiver—and all of a sudden, their quarterback looks like the quarterback of the future, with not just one draft choice, Devonte Smith, but also AJ Brown. Stephon Diggs is one of those wide receivers—he's flashy, he's got a diva attitude, but you could tell there's a hunger to make plays. And in Minnesota. I think there was a realization that I'm never going to be the true number one with Adam Thielen. And certainly now with the guy they drafted, Jefferson, and he's absolutely blossoming. Help matters. If you take a quarterback, most quarterbacks always have a number one guy. And nowadays in the National Football League, you actually need a two or three with all the spread sets being run. So, yes, digs matters.
2: Well, Knox at tight end has given him the outlet, too, yeah. so they've got both guys. It's actually his third season in Buffalo, but so far as right personnel matters, but Josh Allen has seriously raised the game of Stefan Diggs. His first year in Buffalo, he had 1,535 yards. Prior to that, his highest was 1,100. So he has really raised his game. Perhaps he's a better receiver, but he had already been in the, year for five, six, been in the league for five, six years coming into that. He got better because he had a quarterback that could find him.
0: TJ. Let's look at the other side of that game last night, uh, the Tennessee Titans. Oh. They're now 0-2. They lost to the Giants. I think the Giants are a bit overvalued. Anytime you lose to Daniel Jones, you got some explaining to do. <laughs> uh, look, to me, they got the best running back uh, in all of football and maybe an all-time great, the b- greatest physical talented running back, I think, since Jim Brown or Eric Dickerson uh, take your pick. And it's fallen off. Completely, and I, I'm someone, I was talking to a friend of mine that's longtime Titans fan. He's out on uh, Mike Vrabel. I actually think Mike Vrabel's a, a very good coach. I think Ryan Tannehill wet his pants last year in that playoff game against the Bengals, and I don't think he can ever recover from it. I think th- the confidence of his teammates is gone. I think his own confidence is gone. I think all the swagger from that team, th- there's been two things. The quarterback, and then the, the longest tenured player, Taylor Lewan, who's you know the, the stud, or uh, the alleged stud of the offensive line. Last year, when Taylor Lewan got crushed by Chandler Jones, uh, I think in week one, gave up five six sacks to Chandler Jones. I was like, woo! They've taken the shine off Taylor Lewan. Injuries have riddled him the last two or three years. He gets injured again last night. I just think between Taylor Lewan getting the shine taken off him and then all the shine coming off of of Ryan Tannehill, mentally this team is shot and the window is gone. Uh, maybe they're going to have to get rid of Mike Vrabel to, to fix the culture and things, but I think Mike Vrabel is actually a very good coach. I just think they stuck with the wrong quarterback for too long. This, I'm, not, I'm not remotely <clears throat> new in this position. I've said it all last year, all during the regular season when things are going great for Tennessee. I kept saying over and over and over again, Ryan Tannehill is going to cost them in the playoffs. They get in a real game. He's going to have to make some plays. He's not going to make them. This team is mentally shot. I don't think he can be fixed without an overhaul at quarterback and you know offensive line and probably the head coach who I like I think is gonna have to get run. Steve, can the Titans be fixed?
1: You know, when Ryan over the hill threw one of his really bad throws last night, I happened to tweet, at what point do the Titans look at Ryan Tannehill as their long-term quarterback and take a look at Malik Willis? Now, I was kind of switching back and forth between the two games. Next thing you know, someone on Twitter said, Steve, he's in now. And I looked at Malik Willis And I'm thinking of myself as I'm watching this. um, And Jason, I know you've had a few Cheez-Its in your life. Favorite snack of mine. Remember that commercial with a big piece of cheddar? And eventually the guy said, nope, not ready. That's the problem. Malik Willis, with the style that he played at Liberty with Hugh Freeze, he's a long-term project. He's probably not going to be ready till at least next year or maybe the season after. So they're between a rock and a hard place in a sense that there's obviously a declining quarterback who the whole team may have lost faith in and even Bravel. The problem is Malik Willis might be your future, but the future is not now.
2: Uh, (laughs) So I played against I actually played in the game in college that Ryan Tannehill became the quarterback. He was recruited as a wide receiver at yeah, Texas A and M. And so we beat him, Gerard Johnson, they figured out he uh, sucked and then they moved on to Ryan Tannehill. If the <laughs> college coach, I think it was uh Coach Sherman was, was a coach for you know, former Packers coach and everything. Mike Sherman. Mike Sherman, thank you. Uh, who has some evaluation talent, didn't think this guy was a quarterback, right? It he's his arm strong enough. I'm looking at his stats now. He's got two years of 4,000 yards in his entire career both in Miami. We were questioning yesterday if Matt Ryan was ever that good and he had 10 straight years of 4,000 yards. Mm. So we're looking at a guy who everybody's pumping up because he had A.J. Brown on one side, had at least the name Julio Jones, even though he had the luster taken off of him by then, had Delani Walker at tight end, had Corey Davis there. They had some weapons, and then, as you said, perhaps the most physically gifted running back in the NFL. This offensive line is shot. They cut two starters from last year's team. If you watched last night, Derrick Henry couldn't get out of the backfield without dodging bullets. This team is a disaster, and it's 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 not Ryan Tannehill. What you're seeing now is Ryan Tannehill never had the talent to overcome any sort of deficiencies. They looked good when he had weapons everywhere, including on the offensive line. Now they don't have weapons anywhere. What are you going to do?
0: You got a major rebuild here in Tennessee, mm-hmm. and and do you do you blow out Mike Rabel? or do you? Do you no, I like Rabel. I think I Rabel's like a Rabel. good
2: coach, but yeah, I. I think you stick with him, but it's going to be a couple hard years here because, as he said, Willis very clearly not ready at this point. Derrick Henry is going to, at that size, you don't keep running at this speed for very long. And so they're going to have to put together, if they get the offensive line together to some degree, at least you can build around a running game. Then you start developing a young quarterback and protect him a little bit, and you start to add weapons outside. Right now, they can't protect anything.
0: Yeah, And yeah, I, I, I think with all these teams, and I, I, I think, what, what's the, oh, Cincinnati's another team. Practice is so limited now, and the contact is so limited. I think it's nearly impossible to develop an offensive line in the season. Mm-hmm. There, there was a time, not long ago, where coaches would have you out there two days a week in pads, going really hard and physical for two hours at a time, those days are long gone. Anybody has a physical practice now, the NFL PA jumps down their rear end and no one wants to play for them and everybody thinks you can play without practicing. And, and that's what we're looking at. When, when, so when you fall off a cliff like Tennessee, you fall really, really hard because there's virtually hardly any way to fix it in season, you, you need an entire offseason. Uh, the Titans are in trouble. This thing's going to get worse, and they're already trying to play, you know, their backup quarterback. He's not a solution because, again, if he were a solution, they would have had an open competition uh, to start this season because anybody with a brain knew, hey, uh, Ryan Tannehill soiled himself and we're not going to be able to clean up this mess. Uh, and so but they they Jason. felt like they had no choice. <laughs> I, I thought they should have gone after Matt Ryan or yeah. someone this off season, and you know, not that Matt Ryan's going to be any solution the way he looks in Indianapolis. But anyway, <laughs> go, go ahead, Steve.
1: Yeah, a couple points. I, I mean, with Ryan Tannehill had the greatest safety net or security blanket in football the last couple of years. The fact that he was consistently in second and six or five every time he handed the ball off to King Henry, it is so much easier to play quarterback under those circumstances. And to TJ's point, you saw what happens when all of a sudden it consistently becomes second and 9, 10, or 11. That game becomes exponentially more difficult for a guy like Tannehill, who's not a standout, and then you take away his number one threat. Jason, as to what you said, I found it interesting. Every Monday out here in LA, AM 570, they bring on Eric Dickerson, on a show to talk about football, specifically the Rams, but the NFL. He's on there with Fred Rogan, LA broadcasting legend, and Rodney Pete, longtime NFL guy, USC Trojan legend. And he actually said yesterday, I hate the fact that nobody plays in the preseason. He actually said, I'm so sick and tired of everyone preparing for injuries. This is football. Because I know this, even as a running back who they all try to protect now, I needed to play. At least a game or two, which means a quarter here, a couple quarters here, and then in the third preseason game, we needed to go about two quarters and maybe a drive. Now they only go three games where they used to have four. Back in the olden days, they had six. But Dickerson said when it came to the offensive line specifically, that cohesion has to be built in a live game situation and specifically the running game blocking. And Dickerson said, and other guys have said it now, and Rodney Pete agreed, he does not like the fact that they're so overprotected. By the time you get to NFL week one, teams actually are not ready to play live tackle football.
0: Steve, I got to credit you so far, we're 20 minutes in and you haven't tried to hijack the segment. You've stayed on oh, point. It's early. Uh, good <laughs> it's job. Early. We'll see if the streak it's can early. continue. Can I have yeah. one question for
2: you, Steve? What, when did he go from Ryan training wheels to Ryan over the hill? That was a, that was a very <laughs> quick transition.
1: You know, the playoff game. And, and, you know, Jason has a funny habit. When you make a <laughs> statement on a show on like a Tuesday or Wednesday and if that guy flubs, this is what he'll do. Jason will immediately text you with that guy's name saying, yeah, I told you so. And then he won't even respond. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, it's like, oh, God. Okay, he never gives me credit when I'm right. He never says, hey, good one. But when I make a call that goes, hey, why? Oh, he'll just text me the name. Won't hear from them for another three days. It's part of the charm of Whitlock, to be honest with you.
0: I, I have no idea how we got on that topic, but I could always depend on Steve Kim for that. Uh, Vikings-Eagles last night. Uh, the Vikings last week looked like, oh, man, remember Michael Irvin's predicting Kirk Cousins going to win MVP? And last week, the Vikings were like, oh, man, you know, coaching change and Kirk Cousins looks different. Man, the Eagles put a clown suit on him last night, and Jalen Hurts uh, added to his lore and reputation. And so it makes me want to ask the question, you know, two former Alabama quarterbacks, we know the history of Tua Viola and Jalen Hurts. Uh, I think most people, obviously, you know, Tua went at near the very top of the NFL draft uh, when he came out. Who's got better? Who's going to have the better future, Jalen Hurts or Tua Tongue-Viola? Uh, Steve, go ahead.
1: Boy, that's a tough one. You know, I was not a believer in Jalen Hurts. I really wasn't. I mean, look, he got beat out at Alabama, and the Lincoln-Riley system at Oklahoma makes every quarterback look really good, and they have inflated numbers. But I, I like his character. He brings all the intangibles. And what I really liked last night, the ball got out on time. Uh, for the most part, and AJ Brown has made an incredible difference. But with that being said, I still feel as though Tua has a little bit more arm talent. Neither guy has a strong arm, but I get the sense that Tua does a better job of threading the needle because he actually made some tight window throws this past weekend. It just wasn't about the goal route or the deep post with a Tyree kill. If you actually look at the whole game, there were a lot of throws that had to be perfect in terms of placement and anticipation. So I'm gonna go with Tua, but I will say this: I'm beginning to really think Hurts just might be the long-term answer in Philadelphia, quarterback. I don't,
2: I don't buy into either guy, um, (laughs) long-term. Now I'll tell you, I think Tua has better weapons. That's going to so he has a higher upside because of those weapons, and I think there's going to be a more explosive offense in the short term in Miami, while Tyreek and Jalen Waddle can just run past these guys. his problem is going to be that he's so fragile. I just don't think he's in the league in five, six years. Mm. I think he's going to get so beat up and they'll move on from him. Maybe he's a backup at some point. For Jalen, I think he's steady Eddie. I think he's yeah. going to be a guy that is in Philly for a while. He's going, he's going to be the guy, and this is a problem for Philly actually, who's just good enough to make sure the coach doesn't get fired and that's going to happen every year for a long time. <laughs> so Philly is going to be a middle of the pack guy that just sneaks into the playoffs every year gets beat because they don't have a quarterback who's a playmaker. They have a they have a guy. He he's a poor man's Russell Wilson. That's mm-hmm. who Jalen Hurts is. He's a- I was just going to ask for a comparable. I don't
0: like I don't disagree with a poor man's Russell Wilson, but I don't like it as a comparable because Russell Wilson's won a Super Bowl, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And so I, I'm trying, is he uh, Case Keenum? Is he, mm. who was the guy that led the Carolina Panthers? Jake, Jake DeLome? Is he
2: Donovan McNabb? He's not, he'll never be Donovan McNabb, who, who went to Super Bowl in four straight NFC Championship games. I, I actually think, now, I'm talking style of play. Yeah. He's going to run around, he's a, he's a poor man's Russell. Well, the best I can do for it. He He is going to run around, escape, is going yeah, to be Russell
0: really Wilson's going to play and start
2: in the NFL for 15, 17, 20 years straight. And when you're a poor man's version of that, then it's going to be a guy who's going to have a steady Eddie, seven, eight-year career who doesn't get his coach fired until they move on, and then he'll be done.
1: Keep this in mind, Do guys. you
2: have a comparable, Steve,
1: I really, Jalen Hurts? Russell Wilson's okay, but there is something that's very comparable, though. Joe,
0: hold for one the, second. Russell Wilson's got one of the best arms. He's talking about comparable. I it's know, no but
1: uh,
0: right. he how can you compare Jalen Hurts to a guy with a great well, arm like Russell Wilson? Because it's the same call, style.
1: He, yeah, he called him the welfare version. He called him the poor man's. He didn't say he <laughs> was. He didn't say it was a Tiffany edition. But see, uh,
2: this he's is not a, very he's not just...
1: Go ahead, Steve. When Seattle had the bulk of their success in the first part of Russell Wilson's career, keep this in mind, he was on his rookie deal. So that means you could actually have some depth across the board. Uh, Jalen Hurts is not making $2 million even now or the next season. So there's a particular window. And look, they scheme it up well. They they actually say to Jalen, what do you do well? And let's use your athleticism properly But with Devontae Smith being the absolute track star that he is, and A.J. Brown doing all that physical stuff, and they got a quick little running back in Miles Sanders, I actually think they're better than just a playoff team. This looks like they could really take a run. And look, we want to talk about comparable. He was by far the best quarterback last night. And if Kirk Cousins can have this long career or say what you want about him, he's been a starter for a decade, Kirk Cousins. Why couldn't Jalen Hurts have a similar type of arc to that guy?
0: Mm, Kirk Cousins. Now, see, that's that's a good comparable, uh, and 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 I'll say this: if it went really well for Jalen Hurts, if it went really well, uh, the guy that I would compare him to in terms of style of play, even even to some degree size, is Rich Gannon, and. And again, oh. n- n- the Rich Gannon with Oakland turned into an elite quarterback, yeah. right system. But if you saw Rich the year before in Kansas City when he was in a battle with Elvis Gerback, Rich Gannon ran around a lot and, you know, not the biggest guy, although Rich Gannon six two six three, 6'2", 6'3". Jalen's probably a shade over 6'1". But a lot of intangibles with Jalen and So I'm I'm going to jump in and say, I actually think for the same, I think Tua is going to get hurt and his career is going to be marred by, you know, coming in and out of the lineup with minor dings and things like that. Where I think Jalen Hurts, I I, I can remember when, when he came in in relief of Tua and had that great performance, I said that night, I was like, this dude may be president of the United States one day. I really think he's that awesome of a human being. Uh, character-wise, the Mm -hmm. way he handled that entire situation, then goes on to Oklahoma and has, you know, a great season and, and, you know, in that Lincoln-Riley system. So I I really like Jalen Hurts, and I think his attitude, his positive energy, he he could... I like the Kirk Cousins comparable. That's a good one. But he might, at some point, end up having a great season or a couple of string together some great seasons uh, a little further along in his career the way Rich Gannon did. So uh, I want to move on to uh, uh, probably the most interesting football story of the last 24-48 hours. Uh, Kyler Murray was slapped and I've, I've had two or three different opinions on this alleged slap in the last 24 hours. I've watched this film uh, several different times. He's celebrating after Arizona pulls off that miraculous comeback. And, and the next thing I saw yesterday, Cliff Kingsbury, the Arizona coach, is calling for the fan that allegedly slapped Kyler Murray to be fired from his job, caused him a lowlife. I read the story and it's like, oh well, hold on, Cliff Kingsbury hasn't even watched this film. He, he's calling for the guy to be fired from his job. And I'm like, is that a standard? that NFL players want to live up to, that if if you make some kind of violent criminal mistake, that you should immediately be fired? Has, has, has Cliff Kingsbury thought this through? What happens when one of the Arizona Cardinals players gets in a bar fight, gets mm-hmm. in a domestic dispute? Is that the state? Should they be instantly fired? We see this go on all the time. And, and so the first thing I, I was like, here we go, all this little... Uh, idolatrous relationship we have with all professional athletes now. We must kiss their butt. We must cape up for them. At the first sign of any trouble, we must prove how down we are for the cause and how against anything that happens to these multi-millionaire athletes. We got to we got to stand up and support them. And it and it's cut from the same cloth as like last year, or the year before, when Russell Westbrook would have these little minor incidents with uh fans on on the court and i i I can remember someone touched or either was chris paul chris paul's mom you're talking about not chris paul no that's another issue that that's another one but it's like someone touched russell westbrook or maybe it was rajon rondo or something doris burke who i actually like oh my god they gotta do something (laughs) um see he was touched rajon rondo and i'm just like Hey man, these athletes are grown men. They're some of the, I don't think getting touched by a fan is going to kill anybody. Uh, and so this is cut from the same cloth as that, but I, I want to watch these videos. I think we got three different videos. Cause I, they're all showing the same thing, but they all present something different. So I want to start with a long version of a slowed down. It's about a 60 second deal, but it slows down what happened to Kyler Murray after the game it shows it in slow motion let's watch that one first yeah this is in slow motion Kyler Murray's running to the sideline he violently high-fives a guy and again violently I'm not using that as some kind of super narrative but a lot of force and he's in the stand he's got his helmet all people reach out some you can see that's where the slap comes in the he circles back And when I first saw it, I didn't know who he was talking, I didn't know who he was going at. There was two different guys that, uh, to me, somewhat touched him in a way that we weren't really expecting. Uh, Mm. And and his reaction when he circled back, he seemed to be going after one, but I couldn't figure out. One of the guys was black, one of the guys was white, uh, and, and it was just hard for me to distinguish exactly what happened. Hmm. Now play the repeat version. I think we have it in a loop, the actual slap. Let's play that version and you can kind of you can see more clearly. See, I thought the left-handed black dude, I thought that was the hit when I first watched it and then I kept seeing and then you see this white hand come down across his face and this is what has. Everyone upset and everyone saying, you know, or Cliff Kingsbury without having seen the video saying the guy should be fired from his job and permanently bland and call him a lowlife. Hard to tell there. Is that intentional? Who knows? Now I want to play a speeded up version or a real time version of, of what happened. And, and what I found fascinating about this is. what Kyler Murray Murray did in the aftermath of allegedly being assaulted. Let's play that clip. There he is running up. All
2: excited.
0: Circles back. Seems to be upset. Here comes some teammates. Kyler's upset. Now two, three, four seconds. Now he's walking away. Can't see him right now. We'll see him here in a second, hugging with a coach or somebody. There he is, hugging with a coach. Someone on this staff. Now he and his t- they drop to their knees and celebrate, do a play, hug each other. Now, when you've been assaulted, and I have been, uh, and I've assaulted people. Uh, and I'm talking about back in my youth when I was an idiot and drank too much and, you know, used, I used to not be as flabby as I am now. But anyway, when I've been assaulted or when I've assaulted someone, I've never turned within three to five seconds and started hugging with a coach, a friend, a teammate. I didn't go into some pre-planned celebration where I dropped to my knees and did all that. I did. That's not the way you react when you feel like you've been assaulted, in my view. Uh, hmm. I don't maybe some of you all have been assa- assaulted. Steve, perhaps you've been assaulted and you take time out and celebrate afterwards. TJ, maybe you have as well. But to me, it looked like Kyler Murray's reaction initially was, someone hit me in the face. I'm upset. And then it's like, no harm, no foul. Let me go on with my life. And that's, That's how this should be handled. No harm, no foul. Let me go on with my life. I don't know what that fan's intent was. And yesterday, when I initially saw this and saw the videos, I put out a tweet where I agreed with, like, hey, the fans should be punished, but shouldn't be fired from the job. And Cliff Kingsbury, you don't want to set this standard. Now, as I've watched the film overnight this morning, I'm more on, like, man we don't know what happened and uh we don't know what the guy's intent there's video that you we don't have it here but the guy is smiling and trying to celebrate with him after the the slap i don't think he intended i don't know why the police were called i don't know why espn and everybody else has leaned into this oh the police are investigating this they're, an investi- they're investigating this? It's hmm. the NFL's Bubba Wallace. That's what it is. <laughs> Basically. And so I am – Cliff Kingsbury mm-hmm. elevated this situation. ESPN elevated this situation. Uh, anyway, I'm going to stop there before I go
2: any further. Uh, TJ, I'm going to let you go first. What do you see? What do you think? I'm not convinced any of this was on purpose at all. He looked like a guy that was fired up that was in the second row, had no idea he would have an opportunity to get anywhere near Kyler Murray, who just saved, in his mind, the season for uh, Arizona, gave them a chance. The guy came right up to him, and he tried to hit him on the shoulder pad to tell him, good job, and now he's being demonized. That's what it looks like to me. Could it be that he said, here's my chance to hit this black guy in the face? I doubt it. Two percent chance. 5% Pretty dangerous, I would think, to, I, to think that. And this is why I think Cliff Kingsbury, it was so irresponsible. Had you not seen the video, my assumption, based on his response to the media, would have been that somebody cold-cocked Kyrie or uh, uh, Kyler Murray in the face from the front row and knocked him out. Well, that's the kind of response you have. You can't do that. If you're willing to assault somebody on national television with a punch and you knocked him out, maybe you should be fired from your job, right? That's what I would have thought. And then I watched the video and I'm going, you can't just run around demonizing everybody to, to get your woke points. Oh, well, it was a white guy and he touched a black guy and he hit him in the face and obviously the black guy didn't like it. So he should be fired, we should ruin his life and he needs to spend the rest of his life trying to uh, make amends for this moment. Steve.
1: You know, I will say this. That's a nothing burger, but that was still a better skirmish than the Canelo Alvarez-Gennady Golovkin fight I uh, covered this past weekend. <laughs> now, Jason, you brought up that that you broke this down like the Zucruder film. So I'm going to be the Warren Commission. I think I saw a third hand from the grassy knoll, but I'm breaking this down <laughs> I'm analyzing this. If you're going to slap somebody, I don't think you come over the top. I think that hand has to come at more of a 45-degree angle. So I'm with TJ. I think the guy's trying to slap him on the shoulder pad and miss. Because think about it. Anytime you want to assault somebody, I've never come up to down. I mean, forget Mr. Miyagi. I've never gone brush up, brush down, or whatever that was, right? You come across the face, as they say in football. The guy didn't come across the face. I'm completely with TJ. Once again, Cliff Kingsbury. Had to feel like, i got to have your back. I'm already getting heat for your performance. But i got to feel as though that, man, I really care about my people. Not just as players. Because, I mean, hey, can you imagine a coach only caring about his players' performance? I mean, the nerve of that guy. He's got to care about them as people. And they're more than just athletes. I'm just glad that wasn't Vernon Maxwell, guys. I don't know if you know that uh, reference, TJ, but... Murray Maxwell one time literally ran into the crowd. I'm talking like 50 rows up the Portland because someone said something about, it, I think his wife or daughter, and he was about to clear out all of Rip City. It's one of the great videos of all time. Um, Kyler Murray, it's just one of those things. I think it's a misunderstanding. So, But I will ask Clint Kingsbury once again, the standards, no standards, double standards. If you believe that gentleman, whoever it was in the sea of hands, really deserves to lose his job. Does that mean every crime that happens out in mainstream America in different cities to everyone that commits a crime of that nature? Should they all be unemployed? Is that your standard?
0: It's not. And, and you guys have just made me realize something in sports. It's commonplace. And again, I know this fan isn't one of the players, but in sports it's very commonplace to pat someone on the top of the head. Yep. And again, I know the guy doesn't have his helmet on, but again, he's at a football game, he's, and, and you, I didn't even think about the point about coming down versus trying to strike someone and coming like, and so you're coming down trying to either slap him on the top of the head, pat, you know, which is a good job, or slap him on the shoulder yeah. or whatever. It It's all no harm, no foul. I'm gonna make this final point or additional point, not final, uh, is Charles Barkley is one of my favorite people in sports. He threw a fan through a plate glass window. Everybody knows. Did anyone call for him to be fired? Charles Barkley, one of my favorite people in sports, a good person, a well-intentioned person, spit on a child at a basketball game inside an NBA arena spit on a child anyone call for him to be fired what are we doing here again this whole what are we doing here and and so I want to I'm not picking on these people I just I just had the people this morning I was like I asked the guys I was like let me see if ESPN or anybody at Fox Sports talks about this and if they try to make too much of this and the only thing we could find, or that I was told that we could find, is guess who? Shannon Al Sharptongue. Uh, and, and it'll come off like I'm just picking on Shannon. But he's just this kind of stupid, and he's always looking for a, a race angle on things or trying to make too much of something. So I was told Shannon Al Sharptongue uh, had something to say about this. Let's play the tape. It's like, well, he was trying to touch him on the pad. He didn't even move. He was sitting. He was sitting. He never moved over. He just reached and slapped the man. Yeah. That's what he did. He didn't try to hit the man on the shoulder pad. He hit the man in the face. And Kyler was right to be upset. And probably
1: they probably end up banning him um, rest of the season. I don't know. Maybe if um, in fact they can identify, identify which hand the hand belonged to which fan that yeah. did the slapping. I am still having a little bit of a hard time. Because it seems like the guy, because if the guy, did, he didn't stand up to try to select, it's that guy right there. That's the guy. Oh,
0: there. That's the guy. Kyler knew who it was because guess what? Kyler goes back and looks right at him. Kyler tried to get, yeah, Kyler knew. That's him right there. That's, that's uh, uh, pulling his head back. That's who hit him. They should let Kyler beat the brakes off him. Yeah, yeah, Skip, that wasn't trying to hit no shoulder pads. You hit that man in the face. And so, you know what? Got to get up out of here. And so <clears throat> this is, <laughs> I'm going to be more serious in my response because I, I know that dad would be making you want to laugh because he'd be talking to ignorant, and I'm going to take all the humor out of it. I, I'm just going to. But this is what happens to uh, black men. We have our thought, our ledge, our people put on pedestals that are supposed to be thought leaders. And so Shannon Sharp, just said on national TV they should have let Kyler Murray beat the brakes off of him. That's the solution. You you get slapped across the face, you're earning nearly fifty million a year, and some fan that slaps you across the face accidentally, doesn't really harm you, Someone is suggesting on TV, oh, they should have let him beat the brakes off of it. Is that really the solution? Because if that were the solution, if every time you're offended or every time you're, you're, you're inconvenienced or uh, someone steps on your shoes, someone uh, accidentally hits you, someone intentionally hits you, if the, if the solution is beat the brakes off of them, if that's the solution, we'd have no problem among black men. Because we 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 go to that solution a lot. We, we you know we turn violent and shoot each other. Uh, we beat the brakes off each other. Does it solve anything? And so why would someone 55 years old uh, give that sort of advice to another young black man? Even put that into the air that that's the appropriate response. It, it was. Early in my career, uh, as a journalist, when I started getting a lot of attention and people would have very passionate responses to the things that I wrote, and they'd yell things at me. And this is in Kansas City, uh, early in my column writing career. And, and, And I would upset a lot of people. And my philosophy became we got to pull out W twos and let's compare W twos. And if my W two tops yours, I would be an idiot for getting in any kind of altercation with you. Kyler Murray's were 50 million a year. Why would he lower himself to fight with an idiot fan who I guarantee you if that fan was making 50 million a year, he's not sitting in the end zone. He's sitting in a suite somewhere and never lays a hand hammer. So you want a $50 million a year quarterback to get into a fight with a plumber, uh, and not that I'm denigrating plumbers, there are great plumbers with a small business owner, uh, with a factory worker, with a low mid-level executive at some company, you want a $50 million a year quarterback to think the solution is, let's beat the brakes off somebody. What Kyler Murray did and should have done is walk away and let this thing go away. That, that's the proper response. Athletes, professional athletes, are not being assaulted inside of arenas and stadiums. There is no epidemic of that. I've been going to stadiums since the 70s. I've been stadiums as an athlete, been yelled at, been cursed at, been called fat, been called the N-word inside stadium. None of it is worth any sort of response. And I I I I just don't understand the lunacy, the stupidity, why it's being promoted, why it's being platformed, why that sort of advice would, would come out of another grown man's mouth. If, if Shannon Sharpe were a 28-year-old former athlete, I'd overlook it and be like, oh, that's just a young, dumb idiot. He's 55, 54 years old, 55. He's in the Hall of Fame. That's not how a Hall of Famer should handle things. And trust me, Shannon Sharpe's been in stadiums, arenas. He's been out places, people have called him, things. People may have even put his hands on him. Who knows, his response ain't to turn violent. That's just some bad advice he's given because it sounds good on Twitter. Uh, I, th- that's all I want to say on the situation. Uh, t- t- you guys can lighten it up. You don't have to yeah. be as serious as me. Go ahead, Steve.
1: Go ahead. Okay, I'll go first. Two things, Jason, about what you said. It was in the early to mid-90s that a player, great player, uh, Green Bay Packers safety, Leroy Butler, he actually began the Lambeau League and where he – score a touchdown, guys like Robert Brooks, Antonio Freeman, would go into the crowd and celebrating a touchdown. It's become a thing all across football. And even visiting players do it to taunt the fans. And, and generally, and like you said, Jason, nothing happens. Everyone seems to have great fun with it. They understand it's part of the, the theater, the drama. And it's a good time, and it's part of that great fan-player relationship and experience that you have in a game i hope this does not stop that or mar it because i think that'd be terrible because just again my opinion anyone can disagree i don't think the guy was trying to slap kyler murray and last thing jason i want to defend sir charles you said he spit at a girl no 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 that was spray that was random spray spittle that was not intended for her he was spitting at somebody Okay, but not a little girl. She was just the innocent victim of the shrapnel that came out of Charles' oh, mouth. Just, just want to set so, that straight. Charles is a good man, right. not a role model. So
0: if I take a, a shot at TJ me. and it hits you, you're not going to be upset about it, huh?
1: Well, here's the thing. I'm not a little girl. And, and, and by the way, I may deserve it. Whether you aim for me or not, I get it. But a little girl, <laughs> she was just an innocent stand-by. Stand Come on. It was an accident. Bad aim.
2: Steve just sparked a thought. You ever seen the Lambo Leap? Yeah. That was ten times the assault of what Kyler Murray experienced. Every last person is coming down on their shoulder pads and their heads. Right. And... Dra- Ten times. There's 15 people laying their hands on these guys. When you go up into the crowd for people that have just paid to sit in the end zone in the second row, I don't know, 500 bucks, $600, bucks, they are paying a lot of money to see you play football. They're a fan of your team. They're obsessed with you, the best player on your team. They're pumped that you're... That's in Las Vegas. We don't know if that's not a Raiders fan. I think that's the allegation. The I don't think it was. If you go look at the... Um,
3: that to be a uh, pull section. the video back up,
2: I think this this is where the cardinal. He went up to the Cardinals fans. Right. I think the guy in the second row is not. I, initially, I thought it was a Raiders shirt. I don't think it was. I think he's going right up to his own fans. We can watch it here, <clears throat> in the end zone, and there's a lot of there's a lot of red in here. Yeah. Wait for him to get this. The uh, I think he's high fiving his own guys. This is, I do too, but look at, I'm not sure that guy's wearing gray. Yeah, but you got gray with. You got great, there's tons of great Cardinals I agree, fans. but who knows, I don't know. There are some Raiders fans, I would imagine, in that area. Yeah, he's not wearing a black Raiders jersey. I'm saying at, yep. at, it's unclear. Yep. And so uh, what I'm getting at is the Lambeau Leap, if we're calling this assault, every one of those guys get assaulted. My second point is this, uh, he's 25. This would be a good time to give him guidance. And Cliff Kingsbury just gave him the worst dad advice possible. Anybody that gets in your way, don't you worry, we'll have them thrown in jail. I mean, that's, so it's like, how about, how about the response of Kyler's a big boy. He can handle himself. He took a lot bigger hits than that on the field, and he still won us the game. So we'll mm-hmm. go with that and move on. Downplay it and say, Kyler, these guys are, these are your fans, and they're probably going to want to touch you if, they, if you get next to them. These are NFL fans across the league. All love you. This is, you're the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL. Isn't he the highest-paid at this point? It's like Second. Second highest-paid. Behind Aaron Rodgers, I think. Okay. So how about giving some good dad advice? The, I, I, we've moved on. You, yesterday you brought up Dick Vermeil. Dick Vermeil gave the best dad advice, right? He was an old guy. Um, uh, why am I blanking on his name? You know, um, just passed away, the old Florida State head coach, Bobby, Bob. Bobby Bowden, the greatest dad advice ever, always. They were looking for opportunities to say, this is a young man that could use my guidance right now. And Cliff decided that's not his job.
0: Well, the, the, the culture has told him the greatest thing you can do for a black man is support any decision he makes, regardless of how bad it is. If you see a black man out arguing with the police and refusing police commands, support him. He, even though it may lead to him getting shot and killed, the messaging from all of America is, if you see a black man doing any, anything, support it, say it's great, say the, the world has a problem with you. And so it, it's no different, like if Shannon Sharpe saw me overeating, he would stand up and applaud. And
2: well, that's great. <laughs>
0: Killing yourself, Jason. Keep overeating, baby. And all of corporate media would, would, would celebrate that. Get
2: some more food.
0: And, and and I would, and allegedly, anybody that said, hey, Jason, you're eating too much, I would, my response, well, you're racist. I mean, my God, don't you know that, you know, that they've redlined all the healthcare facilities for fat people, and, you know, I have no... Uh, responsibility to lose weight and be healthy myself. There's, they should make a pill for me to pop. So, anywho, uh, thank you guys. Uh, I didn't plan to go this long, but we did. Uh, awesome job. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Uh, we're gonna, we're gonna take a break and uh, come right back with uh, Shamika Michelle.
4: regrets go to heaven with freedom It's my obligation, no hate discrimination. Up your hands for freedom.
0: In less than a minute Monday night, Hillary Ford which blew up CNN broadcaster Don Lemon's simple-minded narrative on reparations. In a discussion about the British monarchy, Lemon nonchalantly referenced the need for reparations because of England's past colonialism. Fordwich Pounce, The seasoned public speaker and expert on the royal family argued that Britain was the first nation to end slavery and that African slave traders owed reparations. Her argument left Lemon speechless. He quickly moved on. Watch for yourself. Well, this is coming when, you know, there's all of this wealth and you hear about it comes as England is facing rising cost of living, a living crisis, austerity budget cuts and so on. And then you have those who are asking uh, for reparations for colonialism and they're wondering, you know, $100 billion, $24 billion here and there, $500 million there. Some people want to be paid back and uh, and members of the public are wondering why are we suffering when you are...
3: 2,000 naval men died on the high seas trying to stop slavery, why? Because the African kings were rounding up their own people, they had them on cages waiting in the beaches, no one was running into Africa to get them. And I think you're totally right, if reparations need to be paid, we need to go right back to the beginning of that supply chain and say who was rounding up their own people and having them handcuffing pages. Absolutely, that's where they should start. And maybe, I don't know, the descendants of those families where they died in the high seas trying to stop the slavery, that those families should receive something too, I think, at the same time.
0: It's an interesting discussion, Hillary. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. We'll continue to to discuss in the future. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Don Lemon moved on uh, very quickly, but that doesn't mean we should. We shouldn't. We need to discuss reparations here in America. It's a critical issue that impacts the mindset of many black Americans. Many black people believe America owes us for the oppression of our ancestors. I take a completely different position. I believe I owe my ancestors for the oppression they endured and conquered. I owe reparations to my mother and father, to my grandparents, to Martin Luther King Jr. and Booker T. Washington, to Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, Harriet Tubman, George Washington, and Crispus Attucks, to my high school football coaches, to my fourth grade teacher, to all the people who invested their time, concern, prayers, and mentorship in my development. I try to immerse myself in a spirit of gratitude because I believe Jesus Jesus Christ died on a cross for all of my sins. His grace and mercy overwhelm me and combat any sense of entitlement. Reparations are entitlement. They're rooted in the desire to be compensated for the oppression suffered by others. Entitlement handicaps the mind and undermines productivity. America does not owe me. I owe America. I owe my ancestors. When President Kennedy told Americans in 1960 to ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, he spoke to a nation of Christian believers. A hallmark of faith is gratitude. A hallmark of a lack of faith is entitlement. My parents' generation despite facing in-your-face racism, felt grateful for their American citizenship. Their generation and previous generations fought for full American citizenship. They earned it, and I owe them for their sacrifice. We all do. Here's the truth that Hillary Fordwich avoided unloading on Don Lemon. The modern ancestor of African slaves brought to America and England are blessed and owe an enormous debt to our forefathers and mothers. They suffered so that we now live free. They turned lemons into lemonade. I'm not owed reparations. I owe an endless debt to the people who sacrificed their lives so that I could live in the freest, safest, and most opportunity-filled country on the planet. I wake up every day thinking about how I can pay back my mother, father, brother, sister, my high school, my college, and anyone else who helped me along the way. I owe this country. It is not perfect, but there's no place else on the planet I'd rather live. I certainly do not have an interest in living in a land that Britain had to stop from capturing, enslaving, and selling people who look like me. Americans stop Americans from doing that. The Brits stopped Africans from doing it. I'm an American. I'm not ashamed of that. God placed me in this country for a reason. The American reparations movement sends the message that white people are responsible for the destiny of black people. The movement exonerates black people for our role in the slave trade. We pretend that Europeans invented and initiated the African slave trade. It's revisionist history that defies logic. Africans established the African slave trade. It's laughable to blame the customers for a product line the customers didn't launch. The fight for reparations is reinforcement of a slave mindset. It screams that black people are not responsible for themselves or their actions. It screams that black people are whores to the highest white bidder, are we? We celebrate rappers who profit from denigrating the image of black people. Jay-Z, Snoop, Dr. Dre, Meek Mill, and all the rest are no different from African slave traders. They sell out black people for record deals and fame. They have an entitled mindset. They owe the world and their ancestors nothing. They've enriched themselves at the expense of other black people. Anyone who complains is vilified as a traitor. Black Americans will not progress until we rid ourselves of the entitled reparations mindset, until we embrace the fact that we owe our ancestors, black and white ancestors, an enormous debt. A lot of this, the reason I'm so hyped and on fired up about this, because when I went to go see the movie The Woman King, that was one of the major takeaways I had, is they just put together a movie that covers up the fact and diminishes the fact that there would be no African slave trade if Africans didn't capture enslave and then sell off the extras, the slaves they didn't need. They sold them off. We pretend like, oh man, if it wasn't for these evil Europeans, there would be no African slave trade. There would be no Africans enslaved. That's a joke and a lie. Africans enslaved each other, and then the extras to turn a profit They sold to Europeans or whoever came over to Africa to buy them. Those are the facts. We participated in our own slave trade. We were the primary source of it. We were the coal miners. And we then blame the people that wanted coal. Like they're the worst or they're the baddest of the bad guys. That's a joke. And then, if you didn't get my point, Americans stopped Americans from participating in the slave trade. England had to stop Africans from participating in the slave trade. That Woman King movie that pretends that this group of old women led by Viola Davis stopped Dahomey from participating in the slayer. That's a joke and a lie. I I just, my, my number one point in all this is just, we've, this whole secular society we've built, among many other things, it has killed gratitude. No one feels grateful. And gratitude, Is one of the primary tenets of Christianity. We all should drop to our knees every day and in every moment right now and be like, thank God, I am so unworthy. Thank you God for sending Jesus, your only begotten Son, to cover up for my flaws, to atone for my sins. Gratitude should be pouring out of us. Instead, entitlement is pouring out of us. And I would love, I have not met, and I I know some, but haven't met them face to face. I know a few black people that have moved to Africa, like it in Africa, and all that. But the black people that I know and deal with on an everyday basis, you couldn't pay them $5 million to leave America. That's how blessed they feel living here. That's the reality. No one's, let me, let me save up some money so I can go to Africa. That's, no one's doing that. They're saving up money so they can go to Vegas and kick it. They're saving up money so they can hit South Beach, so they can go down to Atlanta, so they can hit the jazz festival in Cincinnati, but no one's saving up money to hit Africa. It. Anywho. Uh, Shamika, Michelle, uh, before we run TJ into this gauntlet, I'm gonna let you uh, <laughs> get us get us started. Uh, what is what's been your position on reparations? What is your position on reparations? Are we owed something?
4: Well, first of all, Jason, let me say that Don Lemon gets reparations from the white man every night. Let's just be clear. <laughs> However... <laughs> When it comes to reparations, I used to have an argument about it because I used to think it was silly and I didn't understand why we were kind of hanging on to something in the past. I stopped arguing about it because I know that there are people that have spent time and energy and really researched how they could make it work. And to just be honest, if they start passing out checks, I want mine or mines, whichever one is going to get me the biggest (laughs) amount of money. But, you know, I love your column because I think that I've always felt like I owe my ancestors um, doing well in this country where they fought for our rights. And so when you put it in a context of reparations, it's just very enlightening and thought provoking. Like it gives me another way to think about it. Like we owe them opposed to trying to get something from the hard work that they actually put in. One of the things that I liked about the way this woman came at Don was that it brought out the fact that I think we need to do a better job in this country with the history. You know, I think I've shared with you about how I've seen work come home with my kids and I feel like they've watered down the whole experience. But not only uh, does it water down what white people in America did back then, it also waters down what the Africans did. I think back as a child, I had no idea that Africans actually played a part in the slave trade. I think about just being, you know, eight, nine years old, learning about uh, slavery. I thought white people had actually just gone in and ravaged the land. I had no understanding of how vast Africa was, that it was a continent, that it was countries that participated. Some did, some didn't. I. Just I just had no idea. I thought Africa after the slave traders came in, I thought it was just, they just left hungry children and Sally Struthers. I had no idea because we don't teach history the way that we should in America. And so I think that showed me that, uh, you know, the way Don responded, but also Jason, it left me with wondering, Are we having a hard time as black people? Like, is this a behavior thing that we don't want to hold people accountable when their skin color looks like ours? We don't want to hold the slave traders of Africa that were Africans accountable. We don't hold them accountable now. When you brought up the the rappers and how they kind of have sold the black people out, We don't hold them accountable now, black on black crime. So I wonder if that's like a behavior thing because it's been happening for a very long time.
0: Samika, I think it goes to my point and this is why I think this reparations discussion is important, is there's a foundational mindset that has been installed in us that we're not responsible for anything. That we are just uh, play toys or Uh, still the property of white people. And so we must go to the property owner and demand that he fix whatever's wrong with us. And so that's why the Bloods and the Crips, the Gangster Disciples and Vice Lords can dominate our neighborhoods and communities, terrorize our neighborhoods and communities, and we will be sitting around stepping over 20 dead bodies killed by the Crips and the Bloods to find the one person that was killed by a white person and let's hold Derek Chauvin accountable, let's hold this person accountable and say nothing about Crips, bloods, gang violence, the, 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 the inability to deal with each other in a responsible way. We'll say nothing about any of that, no different, and again, it's a foundational mindset and who knows, Maybe the Willie Lynch letters, maybe this was part of the, the creation of a slave mind making us believe that uh, anything that happens to us is a direct result of something white people have done to us. And, 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 you know, Whitlock, you're overweight because Ronald McDonald exploited you, not because you blew your money at McDonald's. Ronald McDonald laid a trap for you, and and it, it has nothing to do with your behavior. I, I just reject that. And, and so <laughs> I, I was, the, the thing that shocked me was that this woman was this bold in, in 2022, that she took that risk. And I'm wondering if there's not something in the air because I keep thinking, at some point, and this is where I'm going to put TJ in in the hot spot, I I just think, like, maybe she's part of, like, white people are like, you know what, I've had enough. I'm not Mm -hmm. responsible for this, and I'm going to speak my mind, uh, because I I, I just, how long are y'all going to take just white people are, you know, yeah, the Wright brothers may have invented, invented the airplane, and white people may have done this or that, but really y'all are the source of everything bad that's happened in the world. I I feel like this woman kind of drew a line in the sand and said, you know what? I'm tired of that, I'm gonna speak my mind.
2: Well, if, if, if we're gonna generalize to all white people, it's going to be until we decide to get educated like she did, because you can't have that conversation until you learn the history yourself. And so what they're told is black people built this country. Everything in this country was built on the blacks or black people, and black people, and you owe them. And that's all the history these people got. How are you going to argue that? So she went and did her research. And so if you do some research, I did some this morning. International poverty rate in the world is a $1.90 per day. And go back to 2015. This happened at the University of Missouri, where I played. We, we stopped the football team, went on strike because there was a kid who had nothing to do with the football program who went on a hunger strike. I was so confused at the time, I didn't even know what to do with that. A hunger strike. You're so privileged that you are going to, and, and we are so stupid to buy into it, that somebody who has so much food available to them, they refuse to eat it to make a point. And I love Gary Pinkle to death, but he actually came out and said, we got to save this young man's life. I'm like, give him a hamburger. <laughs> and so that's the privilege and entitlement we're living under. You owe me reparations. First of all, Mo is a Norwegian name. Now, my grandfather was adopted, but I don't, because of that, I don't know a lot of our history. But it is very likely we came over from Norway and had nothing to do with slavery. And so, well, don't look at me, right? And there's tons of people, tons of immigrants, in the United States, who had nothing to do with slavery, and yet the reparations will come out of tax dollars from everybody. You'd be paying your own reparations, right? And so you go down through the details of all of this, and you get the perspective of like the poverty line in the United States is twelve, almost thirteen thousand dollars a year. That's thirty-five dollars a day, as opposed to the dollar ninety internationally. So we're living, the discussions are such first world problems, it's like, hold on a second, I, I'm gonna finish my argument, but it's too hot in here, I gotta turn the AC down. In your climate controlled world. It's like, you get into all the white privilege stuff, it's like, sorry, my electric toothbrush isn't working today, my white privilege isn't on. You know, I, I, this is where, if people will get some perspective, I got a lot when my brother was a uh, missionary in Somalia there was no he was there for four years right this this was checking backpacks in the buildings they went into to make sure they weren't bombs this was mud floors this was you had to put up nets every night so the mosquitoes didn't get inside and just eat you to death right this is 100 degree temperatures you sleep in a sweat every night and then you come back to the United States and you look around and be like you guys are this is the most entitled group of losers that's and averaging. your brother's a racist. Yeah, so I'm you, told.
0: You've got to remember that. He's a racist, although he spent four years in Somalia, and I'm sure no one looked like him over there. I don't, I don't imagine. Just him. And, 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 and literally, people here would accuse him of being racist, generalize about him. And none of those people will have gone to Somalia or any place else on the planet and tried
2: to help. Other people. Do you know what he's doing? Vocational training. He was teaching people how to earn a living so they wouldn't be poor anymore and they could support their families. And they were building them playgrounds for the kids so they'd have stuff to do. And they were bringing them supplies and they were raising money. And he was doing all of this on fundraising from the United States from his friends and family so he could live and pay his bills so he could go help other people. But he's the racist.
0: Oh my God, you just remind him. I can't remember the friend who I sponsored on one of these missionary trips. I just, I forgot that that's how they do it, and mm-hmm. I participate, yeah. And so
2: there's a, there's a lot of people <laughs> going, this, and this was Somali land, the horn of Africa, where the pirates are, right? All the Somali pirates yeah. and stuff that you've seen in, in movies and stuff. Like, that stuff's real. I'm the captain now. Yes, I'm the cap- yes, captain. exactly. <laughs> captain Phillips, you've seen the... Yes. Yes. That's the very... So all that stuff's going on, and it's just... This such a, our military actually has outstanding perspective when it comes to this. Because they go over into Afghanistan. One guy I know, a real good friend of mine is a Navy SEAL, and he's like, there's just no hope anywhere in the world. There's nothing. They've got no hope. And, you, you know, you try to help them and give them supplies. You come back to the United States and you're complaining that your iPhone's not working. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I'm out of battery. What's wrong with this? The free iPhone that Obama gave you. You know, a, so to s- full circle on your question... Um, perspective and education is the only thing, because you can get shamed into shutting up, and that's what's happened. But once you got some facts on your side and some international perspective, you stop putting up with it. Samika, why don't more
0: black people express and talk about the debt that we owe our ancestors? I I, I literally do. My, My life is... Somewhat dedicated to repaying my father's past now, but my mother, my grandmother's past now, both of them. But I, I really did, and I really do. Wake up thinking about: I owe my mother, I owe my brother, I owe my sister, I owe Ball State, I owe Warren Central High School, I, and and I tr- I keep like a running. T- that's that's my purpose, and again. I need to be married and have kids and I feel like I owe my kids, but I just don't understand why more of us don't think about the debt we owe the people that actually suffered and conquered so that we could live this life or privilege, in my view, that we live. Why don't more of us think that way?
4: Jason, it makes me wonder who really believes in and supports white supremacy. Is it white people or is it black people? Because I always say white supremacy doesn't really exist because white people aren't supreme. And in order to believe in white supremacy, you have to believe in black inferiority. And I feel like there are so many people that are black that believe really that blacks are inferior and that whites are superior and that we won't get anywhere in life unless the white man turns around and hands it to us. I've never felt that way. I wasn't taught that way. I don't feel that way. And I don't teach my kids that. I believe that when you wake up every morning, what you do in life is is in your own hands. The white man doesn't have to have his foot on my neck or it's, it's not about the white man giving me an opportunity or a privilege. I'm here in america and if this is the land of opportunity so i think that a lot of times black people don't realize it is them who actually believes in in uh white supremacy because they feel like they have to give us something they owe us something when like t.j said but let me correct him: the obama phones aren't iphones now they were the little cheap kind but we
2: have <laughs> <laughs>
4: all of these things here in america like like Like, how can you have a $1,300 phone and you're using it to call people to whine about white supremacy? That makes absolutely no sense. We have so much privilege here in America, yet we act as if we live in a third world country. So it just, you know, I beg the question, who really believes in white supremacy? If my grandmother had lived her entire life, pointing at the white man or, you know, saying, hey, I could have done this if uh, if the white man had given me this opportunity, she would have lived 88 years of misery because, you know, like, How do you get ahead looking to someone else? I should not be sitting here singing the same woe is me songs that my grandmother sang or my great grandmother, just like my children should not have the same woe is me that I did. These kids now are so privileged. People here in America now, Jason, we are so privileged. I would sound dumb saying the same things that my great grandmother experienced that I didn't experience. I didn't experience racism. I didn't experience white supremacy. And I'm not gonna let that hold me down or hold me back or even keep me from getting along with people whose skin color doesn't match mine. And people get angry when you don't walk around with that same spirit of defeat. But that's all it is, is a spirit of defeat. And so I don't think white people are are the white supremacists. I think it's black people who actually look and and feel like white people are greater. That's why you're always looking for a handout.
0: I can't top that, so I'm just going to go. We're going to end the show. We're going to play some Tomorrow and move on to Tomorrow. Uh, Thank you all. Thank you uh, audience. Uh, Hit that subscribe, hit the likes, give me the five-star review on Apple. Uh, We'll see you tomorrow.
3: I feel like a stand off, nothing in life, like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom.